Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. Welcome, 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 everybody. Once again, you're tuning in to Marvelous Monday, and it's always a pleasure to be right back here every Monday on Marvelous Monday. We have so many things going on uh, here on Marvelous Monday today, but no matter what's going on all around us, it is always a pleasure to see another Monday come my way. So we thank the good Lord for sending us another marvelous Monday. I'm going to begin the show first by saying that I, I guess I'm the engineer tonight. Miss Rihanna is not on with us tonight. Uh, we want to for, to make sure that she gets all the rest that she so richly deserves because pretty soon we're going to bring forth a baby boy. So we congratulate her on her pregnancy and pretty soon. We'll be celebrating that new bouncing baby boy, that new great arrival. The next thing Amen. that I want to mention, yes, hey there, fine, how are you doing? And there's my co-host over there. How are you doing, Mr. Arthur? All right, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing great. Doing? I'm doing great. Uh, yes, I am. But I, I, Before we get going with the show, I want to mention that, of course, we know uh, the demise of the, the late and great uh, Congressman John Lewis, and we've observed all of the beautiful memorials that have been going on in his honor. He now touched down back in Washington, D.C., and uh, his body is going to lie in state uh, uh, tomorrow as well as uh, Wednesday uh, in preparation of getting ready for his final demise. It was, it was heart-drenching. Uh, to see everything, to see that horse-drawn carriage uh, march across that Edmund Pettus Bridge. But before we actually get into that part of the show, let me just say that this third, this, excuse me, this Friday, uh, the 31st of July, uh, at 6:30 p.m. downtown Tyler on the Square, we will have a memorial in honor of Congressman Lewis. Uh, the reason being is that. He gave so much to East Texas, even though he's, he was not our immediate personal congressperson, even though all of the Congress people belong to the whole United States of America. That's why it's so important for us to make sure in every aspect of the United States that the right people are elected because how they vote, doesn't matter if he's in Georgia, if they're in California, how they vote affects what happens to us here in Texas. So we're honoring him. In particular, I want to honor him because he took time with me, and as I was running for Congress, he always gave me uh, great advice. He always encouraged me to keep on going, uh, never give up uh, until you get to where you need to be. He was just that way with everybody, Mr. Arthur. He was just an amazing gentleman. So we're going to honor him on this Friday night. So 
before we get going, let's see all who all we have on with us tonight. I think we have some really, really special guests on. We have uh, Mr. Uh, Christian Gooden, who's on with us tonight, who got to meet uh, Mr. John Lewis. And so we're going to uh, let him tell his experience with him in Washington, D.C., when we always uh, journey up to Washington for the Congressional Black Caucus. It's not going to be the same. Uh, even though we know this year it's been um, postponed, it's always the third the third week of uh, September, but it's not going to happen this time. So, uh, so it's going to be a sad time uh, whenever we get back there in 2021, and uh, and he's not going to be there. Also, we have Dr. Nancy Nichols who is on with us tonight. Dr. Nichols, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you, and good evening. Yes, thank you, and thank you for joining us tonight. Dr. Nichols will have the opportunity to talk about her experience uh, with uh, with Congressman John Lewis. And then, Christian, uh, are you there, Christian? I didn't. I forgot to ask. Are you there? Yes, yes ma'am. Yes, yes. ma'am. Good oh, to be okay, here. Okay, good. Great. And so what I'm going to ask also is that if you're not speaking, uh, you can go ahead and mute yourself, especially if you're going to be moving around because we will be able to hear the background noises. And so we want to make sure that when you go back and listen to this uh, tomorrow or whenever, that we'll have a good, clean recording so everybody can mute their phones. And then when because when I'm not speaking, I always mute mine as well because I sometimes I may be moving around and I don't want that noise to come in. Also, I want to find out if we have Miss Faith Chatham that's on with us this evening out of Austin, Texas. Miss Faith, are you there? Okay, we're just doing roll call. She she will probably come in later, as you know. Uh, some of you may know that Miss Faith Chatham hails from East Texas, uh, so even though she lives in Austin, she's an East Texan. And so uh, she's going to come in because we're going to talk a little bit about how things were then and how they are now. Uh, as many of you know, uh, we had a little incident that happened uh, here in our city on yesterday here in Tyler, Texas. And so we're going to talk about that. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about uh, Congressman John Lewis. And so um, go ahead. We'll start with the lady. We'll start with Dr. Nichols. And let me share with you that Dr. Nichols uh, did an amazing presentation uh, last Thursday about uh, Congressman John Lewis and how she felt about him and how what the Democratic Party uh, here in Smith County uh, feels about the Democratic Club, I should say. Uh, their feelings and all of that in regards to uh, uh, Jen Lewis. And so I want her to present that same thing uh, this coming Friday night from the Democratic Club. Go ahead, Dr. Nichols, and share uh, with us what you want us to hear and know about your experience with Congressman Jen Lewis. And I'll mute out. I had a the opportunity I was honored with being able to meet Representative John Lewis when he came to Longview not so long ago. Uh, John, Representative John Lewis has always been a hero in my eyes, and this was one of the most uh, gratifying and inspiring events in my life. I... It, it, I just can't, words can't explain. It was wonderful. 
And standing next to him, I had the opportunity to ask him, what, what is it? What, is, what do you do? What's your secret for success? And his answer was so simple. He said, I do what I can. And that has stuck with me. That has encouraged me. And especially in this last three and a half years, has been something to fall back on here basically every day. Just do what you can. Do something. Keep doing. Keep moving forward. That's right. That's that's beautiful. And you and you're one hundred percent correct. He in other words, he would say, just don't stop. Always find something that you can put your hands to to make your community where you live, the state where you live, the country where you live, to make that a better place. And so he exemplified that by showing how much he cared for people. He was the most selfless person that you could ever meet. It was always about the next person because as you were taught and trained and told growing up that when you help somebody else, you're really actually helping yourself. And so I think that was his mantra, and he lived by that until the day he died. Because we're also going to share our last experience uh, with him in um, Selma, Alabama, this past February 2020, to be exact. Christian, go ahead and share with us uh, what your feelings are and how you felt when you first saw uh, Congressman John Lewis on the street in Washington, D.C. Go ahead. Oh, my goodness. Um, first, uh, I was going through pictures of yours, and I said, wait a minute, you know Congressman John Lewis, and you know uh, Congressman uh, Elijah Cunningham, and all those great leaders. And at the time, I was young and getting into politics, and he was like, yeah, you should come to the Congressional Black Caucus with us. And um, you helped me out with funding and all the other stuff to go out, go out there. And I got a chance to meet an amazing person. Um, yes, I'm young, 25 years old. And um, I just want to say that it was just an honor to be able to sit at the table with him, shake his hand, take pictures, listen to him speak. And it was such an honor to be able to walk the same uh, bridge that he walked um, for the fight for civil rights in Selma, Alabama, where I am attending uh, Alabama A&M, and we got a chance yeah. to um, to to experience that that moment. And um, he came to East Texas, and he spoke to Wiley and Texas College students um, and other uh, participants of the East Texas area. And it was yeah. just amazing. It was just so amazing, and it, and it is amazing how. Us young folks had that same fight that he had back in the 60s, civil rights movement, and we're trying to imitate the same process of what he was, what he did throughout his life with civil rights as a civil rights icon of today. And so uh, he will be truly missed. Um, young folks from 18 all the way up to 25 to 25 to 35, and of course older. We know who he is. His legacy will survive for generations and generations because I'm definitely going to tell my kids uh, when God bless me, uh, 
to have them and 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 do the luxuries of life to tell my kids that I got a chance to meet an amazing person. That's right. Very good, Christian. Please share with us. You mentioned that uh, about your school. Please share with us what you're actually doing. And yes, we we were there at the same time in February. Uh, it was great to be in that same little area where we knew that you were close by and that you and your other colleagues from the university was able to be there to observe all of those people from around the nation that came in, all of the camp, yes, I mean, from everywhere. Go ahead and share that with us. Um, (laughs) So the initiative, um, it was actually uh, our president, Dr. Hugini, said that it doesn't make sense that we don't have students representing Alabama A&M to go to the um, to the uh, Selma event, Bloody Sunday. So um, the school and other sponsors, of course, pay for four buses to send four buses, busloads of students down uh, south to Selma, uh, pay for food, and we got a chance to go to all the different churches, um, yeah. of the of the area, we got a chance to shake hands with Joe Biden. Uh, we got a chance to shake hands with Senator Jones, Doug Jones, and we mm-hmm. got a chance to say Stacey Abrams. And we saw yeah. all of these different people um, just showing love towards thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It was so that <laughs> it was so amazing, and and. The Greek fraternities and and, and sororities and, and, and different um, uh, groups was there. Even Florida A and M was there, and I met a friend who goes at Florida A and I'm like, hey, I know you, and and she, um, she we we just enjoyed ourselves out there. I, I, and, and and I saw some Texas college students there because you sponsor Texas college students to be able to yeah. go and enjoy themselves. And it was just, it was an amazing experience. And I, and I'm so happy that I got a chance to go to, that was 50, was it a 50? That was the 55th, 55, 55th. We were there for the 50th. Yes, we carried a busload Mm -hmm. uh, for the 50th and then back for the 55th. And that was the 55th. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. And it was, it, it was just a blessing. It was an honor to be able to be among those people who share, um, the common goal, just equality, just like him, just like him, equality, and just yeah. just being one. Yes. Yeah. What was so amazing about him, and then we're going to call in uh, Miss, Miss Faith Chatham, who is actually on with us now out of Austin. I think that all you need to do is press one, and then you should be in the queue with us, uh, Miss Faith. But what was so amazing about John Lewis uh, Mr. Arthur and everybody is that he treated every person identically the same. There was no little eyes and big U's uh, in his sight. I mean, and then each time that he would see us each year, he would remember because it was always it was the same group of us: uh, Miss Rihanna, First Sergeant. Uh, Miss uh, Dr. Patricia Robbins. It was the same ones as every Miss Sharon Berry. So he knew exactly who we were, and and he would say, 
just keep on doing the work. Keep on getting in good trouble. And so he's noted for that good trouble. I had never heard that uh, before until uh, it came from him. So that's, uh, I mean, when you think of when you think of Congressman John Lewis, that's immediately what comes to your mind is good trouble. Miss Faith Chatham, are you there? And then after that, we'll go back. Oh, to I definitely Arthur. am here. Okay, thank you. Welcome back to Marvelous Monday. It's great to have you on, Miss Faith. Go, you you have any experiences that you want to share with uh, the audience about uh, Congressman John Lewis? Well, today watching uh, the the service in the rotunda, I couldn't help but think about how timely it was, especially with the events that have been going on this election cycle, the the experiences that y'all had there in Tyler and what we experienced here in Austin yesterday. Um, And I especially love the fact that Speaker Pelosi Pelosi said, I yield my time to my colleague, and she let his words speak to us. Yes. Because we needed to hear his words. Yes. We really needed to hear his words because it's hard to, it's, this is, we've had a lot of hard election cycles. We've been through a lot over the years. A lot of the times I've been right there arm in arm with many people that are on air today. But I don't think we've ever had one that felt as sad and as difficult as this year or as absolutely weird. Um, I agree with you. So many of our dreams have been dashed. So much of our hope, so much of the things that it seems that we've worked for, it seems like they've been unraveled in front of us. And yet, at the same time, we hear the voices of John Lewis and the words that he told us and the, the fact that even Senator McConnell talked about the fact that he gave back good for evil. I mean, yeah. there's not anything I've ever heard McConnell say that I respected, but I couldn't disagree with any of the words he said today. And that's, so he brought even the words out of McConnell to a higher pitch than I've ever heard. McConnell said words that it's hard for him to live up to. Um, Sure. Hmm. Okay. These are really strange times we're in right now. I I agree with you. I agree with that 100%. And it's so amazing because, guys, not only did we lose – Congressman Jen Lewis, we, it wasn't that long ago, what, eight, nine months ago that we lost uh, Elijah Cummings. And, and the funny part is people always, they do have a striking resemblance of each other, of course, because we know them so well. Uh, I don't think that we would get them confused one with the other, but a lot of people uh, would get them uh, confused. They're about the same complexion. They both uh, were bald, wore their hair, they were bald-headed. So, and but people got them a little bit confused, but they had a lot of striking resemblance of each other as far as what their principles and and uh, all of that um, all of that was. They just kind of believed in some of the same things, worked toward the same goals, and it was just amazing. Mr. Arthur, comments from you? Uh, 
unmute Mr. Arthur and comments. Okay. He may be muted or he may have we may have lost him off. I'm not actually looking at the board. So uh, Miss Rihanna actually still has the board, but uh, but we're going to move on. We're going to go ahead and move into uh, the segment that I really want to cover uh, tonight, and that's in regards to uh, what happened here in Tyler on yesterday. We actually could have invited uh, a couple of the people that uh, that was sponsoring at that event. Uh, it was. Uh, in regards to what was happening in, in Portland, Oregon, uh, it was supposed to be a constitutional uh, rally. And so it happened on Sunday. And I say, so it's amazing that we're actually talking about uh, Congressman John Lewis because I deemed yesterday as Bloody Sunday in Tyler, Texas. And why? Because there was bloodshed uh, there. So I'm going to, Arthur, is that you? Yeah, I'm gonna go. Yes, okay. Any any comments? I we we kind of moved on over you. I guess you were on mute, and uh, but if there's any comments that you want to take us into uh, yesterday's events, anything that you want to say in regards to uh, Congressman John Lewis, go right ahead right now. Uh, and I just want to say that being a you know a civil rights work for a long time, and you know working in the uh, area, uh, uh, you know he's you know what he simplifies is. Uh, he lived with what I call moral authority, and and, and and I think that's what he called it. And basically, you know, and basically just did like he like said. He just it's just that simple. Just do what you can where you at. And so I think that that's the, the and you know and and I think it's it's ironic and beautiful <clears throat> that he was not that I was asking for him to pass, but he would pass this moment uh, when sure. we quote need it, when we need him most. And so, and so, even though he's passed, now he has taken on another, another uh, 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 aura where that actually, you know, he's still helping us. You know, we're gonna name this Voting Rights Act after him. We want mm-hmm. to uh, use uh, his words to motivate uh, folks to get into good trouble. Sound like we need some good trouble in Tyler right now. Uh, <laughs> A whole lot of good <laughs> trouble needs to happen in Tyler. And so we got yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. And so I think that, you know, basically like I say he left that for us, and I think we need to take advantage of it. Again, you know, hey, just do the work. You know, just do what you can do. So well put. So well put. So, okay, and mentioning that about things being named after him, we know that there was a school. It's interesting that you brought that up. A school in Virginia by the name of Robert E. Lee that is now John Roberts Lewis High School. So there are other schools across the nation, I guess, that bears the name of Robert E. Lee. Dr. Nichols, I'm going to go to you and let you help us get started uh, with this subject for tonight. And then we're going to ask uh, Ms. Faith Chatham to share with us. She's an East Texas uh, girl, young lady, woman now, but grew up as a young girl in East Texas. And so we're going to hear some of the stories that uh, – that she can share with us. And I'll share with you guys that I, I went and pulled out a book uh, that Mr. Butler shared with us, uh, Mr. Butler from, uh, from the radio, other radio station, uh, Deliberate Indifference. And uh, it reminded me, it refreshed me again. I have forgotten about uh, that incident that happened back in the 80s, and it is so closely uh, resembling uh, the Floyd, the Floyd George's, uh, incidents, except 
that this gentleman, Mr. Loyal Garner, was actually killed, murdered in the jail. And, of course, we know Mr. Floyd was uh, outside of the jail on the streets. Uh, So um, it's, it's a strange correlation. It's as if that we're reliving this history all over again. So, Dr. Nichols, I, I want to, you to um, share with us uh, from what you saw happen on yesterday, how the, and you feel that this could have been avoided. We want to look at some, some different uh, ethnic groups. We want to look at some heritages uh, uh, and, and just tell a little bit of that story of what happened on yesterday in Tyler, Texas, what I call Bloody Sunday. Go ahead, Dr. Nichols. Thank you, Dr. McKellar. Uh, My husband, Mike, and I were at the protest for Portland. We were there to register voters on the square in front of the courthouse, and it was a beautiful day. There was also a, quote, Black Lives Matter rally that was scheduled right before this one, and apparently it was an overlapping time. Um, Hmm. I think that that's the first problem. And I, as I understand it, the uh, protest for Portland had been scheduled, and then this other, uh, quote, Black Lives Matter, uh, excuse me, Blue Lives Matter, I'm so sorry, excuse me, um, rally was scheduled afterwards. Now, I'm saying Blue Lives Matter in quotes because... I did not see that there was much in the way of support for our officers in blue, that it sure did look like a Trump rally to me, that there were Trump flags, Trump paraphernalia, and and, uh, signs and so forth, as well as a Confederate flag. The, The thing that was disturbing is that there was non-officer, quote, militia in camo with assault rifles that were at the corners of each of the square, and they were milling around there. They were supposedly securing the parameter, um, and they were overheard. It was overheard that they were there not allowed to leave their post, communicating with their superior officer, officers or whomever, um, and with um, assault rifles. Now, this, it, this is Texas. We have open carry. I'm not uh, saying anything negative about that. I'm not saying anything about the assault rifles, but I am, my point being that In other protests or events that I've been to where there are uh, guns present, open, we also have officers present, our own peace officers, our own police. It was my understanding that there would be police presence at this event. I haven't gone to any events prior to this where there weren't constables present. There wasn't a constable present either. But we're going to get back to that. Um, A lot of people, as I said, had Trump attire and they carried the flags. Most of them do not wear masks. They move close 
to the other attendees and I am talking about within inches of me and others. Yes. I, that disturbed me personally because of the COVID risk. Uh, those who were uh, gathered there to hear Hank Gilbert speak and the others speak having to do with the protests for Portland and Black Lives Matter, those folks were wearing masks and trying to keep social distance, which became impossible. Um, When Hank Gilbert began speaking, the Trump people began sounding air horns. They they had been yelling, uh, which you're allowed to do that, okay. But they began yelling derogatory remarks and obscenities like I have never heard in my life in public. Yes, yes, ma'am. And then they began moving close to the stage area. Yes. They shouted Mr. Gilbert down. A couple of other speakers attempted to give their talks. They were shouted down. And when I say they were shouted down, I am talking about obscenities. Yes. The crowd got louder. They pushed closer. And they were so close that they could touch those people who were trying to speak. The speakers stepped back, um, but they they had very little space because, as we know, the memorial monument was behind them, and there was really no protection. Yeah. So, and and all this is documented on many videos. There's there's no question about what happened. I yeah. turned um, to look at my husband, and he wasn't standing next to me. Now. Mr. Gilbert had said, it's time to shut it down. I did not hear that. However, my husband, who's an audio guy, must have heard it, and he does what Mike does. He did what Mike does. He went forward and just started helping um, Ryan, the campaign manager, break down. And Mike was just rolling cables, and, and you know, like you do when you're breaking down. Um, uh there was a blonde girl who was continually yelling obscenities and getting right in Mike's face, getting in the face, and she had previously gone up and had turned off the sound system so that the speakers could not speak. Um, Now she was right there anyway, calling People communists saying Democrats need to leave the country. I'm not going to say on the air the rest of it, but you That's can right. imagine it was filth. And um, then <laughs> I went up to to my husband, and by this time the entire crowd had moved forward to be on what we would have called the stage area. And I asked her to back up. She she was right in front of Mike's face, and she said, "This is a public place. I can't blank get. I can get as close as I want." And she said more obscenities. Anyway, three guys were crowded against Mike, who pushed him against the memorial wall. Mike felt the wall start to shake and was concerned that it was going to fall over backwards. Other people had noticed that from outside and see that there were people on the other side of the wall. So that wall would have fallen over on them. Anyway, I picked up Mike's photo registration materials and was standing 
kind of next to him, all this happened very quickly. And I said, Mike, let's go. And then this man in the overalls moved into Mike's space, yelling at him continually. I stepped between the two of them because I could sense that it was very heated and put out my hand in the stop sign, put out my other hand to my right to just kind of clear the space so that Mike could start to move away from the wall and we could get out of there. And that's when I was actually, I, I was that man threw a punch and hit me in my left breast. Um, Correct. And at that point, Mike just dropped the cables and we moved quickly away from that memorial wall. There was a man who had a blue shirt on who were, was kind of came in at that very moment and was sort of trying to protect us. And that's the man that was jumped on next. That's who, when you see the pictures done by Sarah Miller, that one photograph showing uh, Mr. Artmir grabbing um, the gentleman's face. Right. That's that's the man who is helping us and protecting us. So he was assaulted. There were four people who were assaulted. Correct. Um, And this has really been a public outcry. Uh, I understand that the chief of police has received a lot of phone calls, that uh, Judge Moran's office has received a lot of phone calls, and I understand that some went to the mayor as well. Perhaps, Dr. McKellar, you have received uh, constituents reaching out to you. Lots of phone calls. Thank you for that, uh, Dr. Nichols. Many people who were actually on the other end of the, the square did not realize all of that was going on, the pushing and the, and the swinging of their fists. And by the time we moved from the side where you were, Dr. Nichols, around over on the other side, I moved around where the media was, and that's when the, the fight really broke out, and that's when he received uh, the uh, bruises, well, the cut marks. That's why I call it Bloody Sunday, because he actually uh, lost blood. His, his face started to bleed. They took his phone, telephone away from him. It just got out of hand. So now some people called me and said that we have gone 100 years backwards, so I'm going to go now to uh, Ms. Faith Chatham, who actually grew up in East Texas. And so I want to hear from, from Ms. Faith some of her earliest uh, memories of, of, of becoming aware, Ms. Faith, of the differences, even though you came from a family. You can, you can tell us about what your, your upbringing was and your teaching and everything, but when you saw that people were looked at different from your perspective. Well, I missed Go ahead. It's, uh, I've been thinking about many of the people on that floor, on that square, and in Austin, and they're out demonstrating, grew up after segregation. They didn't grow up like you and I, Dr. McKellar, and possibly, I, I don't know, uh, Dr. Nichols may be old enough to have, she may have been just young enough that she bypassed some of the segregation, but we grew up in totally segregated schools. And in Marshall, when I was growing up, Marshall was 55% African-American. It had been the Confederate capital of three states during the Civil War. And when we were taught in school, 
we were taught and reconstruction. I was amazed as an adult to learn out the reconstruction had only been a few years because when we were taught about reconstruction, it was like it lasted forever. Reconstruction was the worst thing that ever happened in the South as we were educated in Marshall Public Schools in those days. But one of the first things I remember is when I was 12 years old, my dad went to work in Louisiana on the Chapala River Levee Project. And my three older sisters were still in Marshall. And every weekend we would drive from Baton Rouge to Marshall because they had started having the sit-ins to, to integrate the, the lunch counters. And I can remember how frightened my mother was. She was saying, I'm not afraid of any black person hurting my daughters. I'm afraid they might be downtown shopping and some stupid person will start shooting and shooting at the blacks and it will kill my daughter. It was, uh, there was a total blackout, a total blackout on all media. I remember to find out anything about what was happening with the demonstrations, you had to go to the Dallas paper or you had to go to a now a town paper because the Longview, the Tyler, and the Marshall papers all agreed to have a total blackout because it's talking about it's a problem. It's not the racism. It's not the, the oppression. It's not the infringement on civil rights. It's not the number of people that have been lynched over the years, but it's talking about it that is a problem. That was the attitude that was propelled within the white community. And there was so much ignorance because we didn't hear anything else. I never sure. had a black friend until I was out of Marshall High School. The only black person I knew in growing up was Caledonia that worked down the corner at the square. I mean, at the corner store, and I remember Caledonia with love because he was so good to the man's daughter who owned the store and to me, and I loved him. You know, there was nothing he wouldn't do for these two little white kids. But as far as having an opportunity to be a friend with someone of a different race in my hometown, that didn't exist. We had two windows at the Dairy Queen. We had the white window and we had the colored window. We had two black universities in Marshall. And if you were a faculty member at Wiley or Bishop College, you had to pick up your hot dog at the back door. We all know a lot about what happened with uh, the atrocities that happened to black people by the Ku Klux Klan, but very few people really comprehend the atrocities that happened to a white person if they even looked like they agreed with anything or even favored someone who was black. Um, I came back to Marshall after having worked at Texas Instruments in an integrated environment where I had a chance to get to know people based on who they were rather than the color of their skin. And I returned to work in Marshall at Atlas Chemical, and there was a black school teacher that was working in our control lab, and her mother had a heart attack, her mother-in-law. And I asked how her mother-in-law was doing, and my white coworkers told me to each his own. In other words, stay in your lane. Wow. Don't have anything to do it. I spent most of my lunch hours in the change room reading rather than associating with my coworkers. But I was very fortunate. There was a man in Marshall that was running for mayor. And I had met him while I was working for the newspaper. And he was a black merchant. And he, he allowed me to come and work in his store while he was going to Europe. And so I had the opportunity to get people to get to know people from the other side of Marshall. And I got to meet 
the doctors and the lawyers and the school teachers. And, I, and this, of course, was Mr. Sammy Birmingham. And I got to know, meet that wonderful school teacher, Mrs. Birmingham. But black people would come in the store and they'd look at me and they'd go, oh, my God. They'd look at a white woman working in that store and they'd think, oh, my God, Sammy's lost his store. Because that was the first thing they that, that was the first thing they would think is that the white person has come in and bought Sammy out. But right. Sammy, you know, the first political campaign I worked in was in Sammy Birmingham's campaign for mayor, and he was elected the first black mayor since Reconstruction. That's right, and I'm That's very right. proud of that. Yes, but yes. What we have seen and, and his today, wife happens to be my sorority sister. Yes, oh, Birmingham. She, she just you know just. Precious, precious people. Not perfect yeah. people, but precious people. <laughs> now, Mrs. Birmingham can be as perfect as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, unfortunately, none of us are. Take care of him, you know. right. uh, none but, of us are. But we, we, Marshalls, to me, now I haven't lived in Marshall for a number of years, but it seems to me that in Marshall they have grown somewhat. You have a very multi, a multi-ethnic uh Local offices, you know, you, you, you have, um, it's, it's not all white people running everything in Marshall. Tyler remains very segregated in many ways. Um, Tyler does not seem to have grown past its racist roots as well as I would hope that it would have. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying that Marshall's made it, you know. I mean, even here in Austin, mm-hmm. we're having our challenges right now. But um, I'm, very, I'm very disappointed. Um, a couple of years ago, I'd spent a lot of time. It's ironic. One of the campaigns that I worked hardest in was Hank Gilbert's uh, agricultural race, long before right. I met Dr. McKellar. And, and then now Dr. McKellar is, she is the other half of my soul. You know, I mean, there That's is no right. one that I love more, trust more, esteem more, uh, am more linked with emotionally and, and every other way than Dr. McKellar. So it's really sort of odd to see these two people and having had a part in, I'm not active in, in Hank's campaign this time, but I was very active in his first campaign when he ran. And it's a yeah. very different time. But, you know, I'm, I'm concerned in all of the political training that I've had and all the political meetings I have attended and all of the political seminars where they tell you what to do, I have yet to right. see anyone tell a candidate what they need to do about security. Right. It's never been on the it's never been on the it's never been on that. When Hank ran before, there was a lot of really nasty stuff happening, but it wasn't happening at the events. It was uh online, it was on mail, yes. it was uh, right. tactics. It wasn't the in, up in your face. Because no one really expected Democrats to win. And if they're not afraid of a Democrat winning, they're not as vicious as they are when they think there is a chance that the Democrats may take that seat. This year is different because there is a chance that some of these districts that have always been red may go blue. And they're frightened. And so they're much Mm -hmm. more vicious. They're much more violent. They're, you know... It's that um, it's it, it's a different thing. Dr. McKellar did a better job with with uh, security than any campaign I've ever seen. 
Most people who looked at her campaign didn't see any security because the security was so closely embedded within the campaign staff and they were thoroughly experts in their field. And uh, we knew that there were certain things that we could say, but there were certain things that it didn't matter what even Dr. McKellar said, her chief of security had the final say on what was going to happen that was going to keep us safe. So, Ms. Bates, can I jump in? The Democratic Party is failing in not teaching their campaign staff, their candidates, and their activists what they need to do. Can I jump in, Ms. Faith? I'm going to jump. Ms. Faith, I'm going to jump in for a second because you said something. You said something that was outstanding. Outstanding. What you said. You said that sometimes people, or most of the time, people should not even know who that security person is a persons are you may have more than one and and you got two military people on on tonight that's mr arthur and myself and i was having a discussion a little early on about security uh downtown on yesterday and and so what i know is that you may not always know the presence of security you may not always know the presence of the mm-hmm. police officers and where they are, and they may not be able to see everything depending upon how many that you have present. I, I know unequivocally that even uh, if you have one or two, even in a large crowd of what we saw on yesterday, you may not be able to see everything that's going on. What Dr. Nichols and I saw up close and personal, people over on the other side had no idea of what was actually going on. So, but but let, let's hear from. We're going to go to Mr. Arthur because now he has a different story uh, to share with us, and then we're going to go back to Mr. Christian because Mr. Christian, as he's already told us, he's 25, so he grew up in a different era from what we have grown up in, and we want to hear what his experiences have been uh, in this same field of racism. That's what we're actually talking about. Uh, or or what his heritage has shown him uh, as growing up in a non-segregated, but an integrated, that's all he knows. But let's go to you first, Mr. Arthur, and then we're going to go to Mr. Christian. Okay. Uh, the only thing I can say is that, you know, is, is that, uh, uh, you know, racism has, you know, you said something earlier about, about we're 100 years, we got to put back 100 years. I hate to tell you. Y'all was already back there. Y'all had never come up. So, you know, that being the case, <laughs> okay. you know, we understand racism. You know, racism has, hasn't went anywhere. It just changed forms, changed shapes, uh, changed, you know, generations change. So so each generation has to figure out how they're going to deal with it, right? So now, uh, you know, you know, this is another generation and another opportunity. So, you know, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, just – you know, just uh, pay attention, be aware, uh, prepare yourself. And then, uh, again, uh, you know, we're in a transition period. So uh, everything's moving right now. So when it lock down, it's going to lock down for another 50 years. So speak into existence what you want to see, work work on it, work work for what you want to see uh, so that when a new reality show up, you know, your stuff will be in it. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Good point. 
What about you, Mr. Christian? Share share your experience uh, and your story, because as I said, you grew up in an entirely different era from all three of us who are speaking tonight, uh, all four of us, as a matter of fact, uh, different era. So share with us what what you've seen and what your experience has been in the real world, Mr. Christian. Unmute your phone, uh, Christian, and share with us your experience. Okay. Maybe he'll come in in just a second. Sometimes uh, people are already talking and they have not really unmuted their phones. Uh, Dr. Nichols, while we're waiting for Christian, I'm gonna, I'm going to come. I'm going to go back to you because I'm always interested in uh, when I talk to my Caucasian brothers and sisters. Uh, at, I'm always interested in knowing and finding and hearing what their stories are, as far as what their earliest memories of. Uh, becoming aware of racism, uh, and, and and I can share this with you before Dr. Nichols goes to that point uh, or differences, uh, but because yesterday uh, there was very few, very very few. There's just a little handful of black people that were there uh, at that event. So so what I saw was uh, the same ethnic group fighting each other on on yesterday. So I can share with you that when I was growing up, my parents never, ever, ever said anything to us about that we were different from anyone else. They just lifted us up and told us that we could do anything. They told us we were smart whether we were, whether we were or not. Uh, they told us we were, so we believed we were. And so, therefore, we performed like we were. And they would tell us to study and learn everything we can, uh, learn those books. I remember when I went to Tyler Junior College, and I've told this story before, and I went to Tyler Junior College, and my parents said, just go and find out what that those professors want you to know and then come back home and learn it and make sure you bring back some A's and B's. And so that's what I heard. So I didn't hear that there was a... Uh, identity. There was a difference being made out there uh, in the in the community, in the real, real world out there. So, Dr. Nichols, if you can share with us your earliest me- uh, memory, or we grew, we know you grew up in in was it Western Kentucky? Dr. Uh, Nichols? It was Central Kentucky, but rural Central Kentucky. Kentucky. Yes. Okay. Okay. And. Go ahead. Uh, which is now considered a suburb of Louisville, how things change. But at that time, it was really a big deal to even have running water. And I grew up in the country, so when we went to town, that was a big deal, That our little county seat. And I remember distinctly the different water fountains. I remember the, the, the difference, the the. the the doors uh, that white entered this way, Negro entered that way. And that was when I was, couldn't even read at that point. Um, So, yeah, I was aware of that. However, in my own little culture there in our own little tiny 
community in the country, that wasn't what happened in my home. My dad had a, a garage. We had a country store. And I didn't know that people were different colors. It, that was never brought up. That was just not. And I played with my, now I would call them my African-American neighbors back then. I would just call them the boys and girls that lived over in that house. And they played with me. And we rode bicycles together, and that was that. So I, I feel that that I was very privileged in that I, I and I don't mean privileged in the <laughs> way it's being, well, you can say that if you, I, yeah, I am privileged, but I, I was very, I was graced with uh, having people of all different colors and all different stations of life who would come through and they would just pull up a five-gallon bucket, turn it upside down and sit and talk in the garage with my dad while I was there playing with the wrenches. And it didn't matter their color, their station of life. It did matter their political preference. I have to say that because sometimes (laughs) when some of those characters would leave, my father would say, he just doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) Yes. Very good. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, you you use that word privilege. We're going to come back to that word in just a few minutes, uh, Dr. Nichols. But she made it very clear she was not talking about the quote unquote the white privilege that we hear about all the time. That's not the privilege you were talking about. Is that is that what you're telling us, Dr. Nichols? That that's true. But I have to say, I I was privileged. We had running water. We had indoor plumbing. My there goodness, go. that was highfalutin back then. <laughs> Yes, it was. You're exactly correct. Okay. Let's go back to Christian and see if he's unmuted yet. Christian, are you there? Okay. I don't know if Christian is still on with us or not. I'll send him a text message to find out if he's still with us. Okay, Keller, can I I kind of tie something in with the bloody Sunday that occurred March 7th all those years ago in Selma and what I saw? Many people do not realize that when John Lewis crossed that bridge on Bloody Sunday back March 7th years and years ago um, and and came to the other side of the bridge, there were, were they, they were met by the Alabama State Troopers. Now, the group stopped to pray, and that's when the Alabama State Troopers overstepped their uh, what they were there to do, and that's when the violence ensued. Those troopers had been deputized that morning, many of them. They were not trained. They didn't know what they were doing. I also want to say that the militia, quote-unquote, that we saw in Tyler, Mm -hmm. they are not real police. They are not real military. They just dress up like it's some kind of Halloween or whatever, and kind of the same thing, that they are given this uh, status that they do not deserve and that we don't want. We have our own police force here in Tyler who are well-trained. We have our own constables 
we don't need these outsiders coming in or these other people who are playing like they know what they're talking about. Thank you. So, Dr. Nichols, you said something, okay, uh, we've heard several times that possibility that everybody that was out there uh, was actually not from Inner Tyler. We heard that even uh, some people were headed out 69 North going toward wherever they were going. I'm just going to say going toward uh, I-20. So so is it your feeling then that that some of those people that were there on yesterday, even though we recognize some faces of some people that we know are Tylerites that live here in Tyler, but then are you saying that you think that some of those people were not from Tyler, Texas? I do believe that. Now, I am saying that without any facts, facts to back it up other than right. some things that were overheard by others in the crowd. It was just set up so precisely the way it played. I have been to many, many, many rallies and protests. This was different. This was orchestrated. That takes planning to have such orchestration. And I am telling you, in Tyler, we just are typically not that organized. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, Mr. Um, Arthur, and then we're going to go to Miss Faith, and then we're going to uh, go to Christian. He, lo- he lost power, so he's going to be coming back on. But go ahead, Mr. Arthur, and then Miss uh, well, Faith. You, Dr. Nichols spoke about training versus that. You know, I've been, I've been doing a lot of research for some novels that I'm writing, and I've, I've been dealing with John, Gro- John Crow area of East Texas, and, with the, mm-hmm. and it starts also with the sit-ins. And in both of those instances, we have such a long history, bloody history in Texas, of vigilantes. Um, the Ku Klux Klan was a bunch of vigilantes. And then after the Klan sort of went undercover, it was just vigilantes. They didn't wear the hoods, but they were still vigilantes that came in and used intimidation and and terror techniques and, and, and unruliness and, and, and showed the power even the regulator and moderator's war was a, was a war that was fought by vigilantes in Texas. And I don't believe we have any room for vigilantes. That we should have okay. no place in this society for a vigilante. Um, and that one of the things that I was uh, looking at that really um, impressed me in going back to the day that they had the sit-ins in Marshall is that there were mm-hmm. some men from Lufkin and Tiger that showed up with bloodhounds, and they were going to take care of those. They were going to, they were going to step in where the law enforcement they didn't think was doing it right. And the district attorney basically told them if they didn't get out of town, he was going to arrest them. And he chased them out of town so that they would not be there at that demonstration. That's what should have happened in Tyler Sunday. The police should have been there to to hold down those who sought to come in with guns and to intimidate. The police did not do their job. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, and because they allowed vigilantes to take over. Now, we have another thing that's going on, and that is our federal government hiring mercenaries. We had mercenaries in New Orleans after Katrina. 
So one of the first times in modern history that we have had paid mercy. Hello? 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 Hello, anybody? Hello, anybody? Can y'all hear me? Let me go back and come back in. Okay, unmute yourselves and call back in. I'm so sorry. I don't know if it's a storm or any bad weather or anything, uh, but you can come back on. It's Christina, okay, okay, is everybody back now? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry. I I think Mr. Wanda <laughs> said she's back as well. But, uh, Christian, if you're there, I, I want to go uh, to you because I want to talk a little bit about how you see what we're discussing tonight because you grew up in an era of uh, complete uh, integration. Christian? I think he's on. <laughs> Christian, are you on? He said he was going to be phoning back in. While he's doing that, uh, let's see, who did I want it to go? Mr. Arthur, do you have any comments on anything before before we do our round robin again? Oh, let's see, where were we? I, I, I was trying to talk about something else. <laughs> I know. I know. We were we were about to get into some deep conversation in regards to what is going on. I thought somebody came in and just cut our wires and just put us hey, out of business. come on. Now, now, I remember my first experience with racism. Uh, uh, you know, I know I, I was like I was like about. It's like about 1957, I guess, something up in there. Okay. Uh, anyway, so okay. I had, so I had, uh, so 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 you know, you you know, stopped at the gas station. We had to come from churches, church somewhere, and, and I had to use the restroom. So anyway, you know, so I, I guess I was about five or what, five, maybe I made it at six. Anyway, so anyway, so you know, so I and there's a restaurant in the back. So I I ran, I went to the fresh restroom. I saw, so and just happened to be, and I walked in. And it was it, it was all pretty and pink. I had never seen a restroom like that. So I was you know, I was tinkering while looking around how pretty it was. And then all of a sudden the, the gas kinda of bust busted the door. He said, Boy, he said, what you doing in here? He said it's a white woman's restroom. You better get out of here oh, before some white woman come here and pinch your pecker off. <laughs> okay. Oh, you know. oh, it was it was a female's bathroom that you wanted to Yeah, yeah, through. it was a white woman's restroom. Yeah, 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 it was a white oh, woman's my. restroom. Oh, you know, tiles were all pink, all pink and pretty. Heck, I had never seen them. I had never seen them. <laughs> I guess not. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would Jim have been Crow, a fine bathroom for me. Go ahead. So, Jim Crow, what? That's what we were about. I think Miss Faith was talking about uh, Jim Crow, as a matter of fact. But go ahead. Yeah, but I just want to say about Tyler. I'm not going to say about Tyler. Well, I was saying that Tyler, you know, uh, okay, you know, we're in the age of Trump. Tyler is a symbol in Texas. You know, if you know anything about Tyler's history, you know, Tyler's going to be the last hole out. Cause that's who, you know, uh, my last 
time there with how remember I told you when we came down when they shot that black woman in her bed. Remember that early lady yeah. came in and killed her. You know. That's right. And so when we and so when we came down right to you know we interact with them, they shut down the town. <clears throat> the 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 uh, uh uh you know the city leaders and founders and so forth. They came out. They welcomed us to the city over at Harvey House, and then they left. Wasn't no dialogue. So, you know, that's Tyler is, is, is what I'm saying. And, and so they haven't ever, you know, they haven't ever left 100 years ago is what I'm trying to tell you. They're holding on to as much of it as they can. And so, you know, and it's going to take some folks down there to get in some good trouble. Yes, yes. Well, I, let me tell you, let's talk a little bit about since you've sparked my mind uh, with this. Let's go over and talk about the person who actually is the representative who sits in uh, the first district seat right now. <laughs> and <laughs> that's for, oh, I got a real laugh out of Miss Faith. Oh, right what now. you would say about Liar, Liar, Louie? I mean, come on. Where would we even start? <laughs> I know. The best, well, story, the best story, Dr. McKellar, is the one we need to tell about the Daughters of the Confederacy Picketix. That is the best <laughs> campaign story I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> yes, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'll tell that quickly, and then I, this, then I want to talk about his comments that he's made. Uh, that, And I don't know if Dr. Nichols is back or not, but he made a comment, Miss Faith, that what person in their right mind would be uh, putting on a protest for anybody in Portland, Oregon? Why would they do that in the first place? And then he said none of those people that were there yesterday were his supporters, even though they were yelling his name and they had signs with his name, both Louis Gomer in 2020, all of the above that people do when they're they're campaigning and working on behalf of a candidate. He denied all of those people. It's fascism. It's called fascism. That's that's what fascists do. All that stuff they did that was that was a fascist move and that's what they're doing right now. I, I don't even think we can afford to give Louis the credit for being smart enough to be a fascist. I, I'm not giving. Louis I mean, that's, 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 beyond, that's this, elevating this, him beyond this, this the is man. Beyond, is this, this, you this have beyond, to have this, brain cells more than what Louis has. No, no. Okay, look here. You you can ignore Louis to your peril. Louis Louis is nothing but a foot soldier and a much larger soldier. Louis, Louis just a tie. And so you can't just dismiss what he, well, what all is. Even he said, well, "Well, I ain't do it." You know that that's part of his program. And I'm just telling you, it's about intimidation. It's about intimidation, mainly like it was last time. Except for now, they want to intimidate white people too. Mm-hmm. See, so that's what they're well, trying well, to intimidate. He was, now. He was a, and, and let me mention this, and then we're gonna we're gonna get right down deep into this. Uh, but I still want to hear from Christian and his experience because he's of the younger. He's the youngest. Uh, on our panel tonight, but but Gomert is on the floor in Washington D.C. saying that we need to get rid of the Democratic Party, uh, or they need to change their name. Uh, I mean, he's just wasting good, valuable time when we mm-hmm. should be working on getting some stimulus monies 
uh, out to people. We should be working on what we can do to come together as a nation to get rid of COVID-19, things that are really crucial. But he's up there trying to push a bill and say that the Democrats need to change their names or we need to get rid of the Democrats, just like the people were saying, and Dr. Nichols can tell you this, at the uh, yesterday when they were saying, uh, if you don't, if Democrats, if you don't support uh, Trump, you need to go back to, quote, unquote, Africa. Uh, now, there was one uh, young black lady that uh, that was there with all the rest of uh, the Caucasian friends of hers, and, uh, and she is the one that had the loudspeaker, and she was the one that was doing a lot of the talking. Uh, they had her pushed up front. So with all of that being said, I believe that exalted Dr. Nichols. I'm sorry, say again. Miss Faith? I believe it was her. From what I have read online, it was her father that assaulted Dr. Nichols. Right. But I'm, but I'm talking, the one that I was just talking about right now was the young black girl. So, so oh, okay. Dr. Nichols, okay. yes, Dr. Nichols, did you read that article about Louie Gomerit wanting uh, to get rid of the Democratic Party and or change the name of the Democratic Party? And we're going to talk about that. We're going to have a show on this Thursday uh, talking about Republicans uh, and Democrats, those two parties, and what one party looked like uh, back in the early, early days, and then what that party looks like today. And yeah. obviously he doesn't know the story <laughs> of doesn't. the Democrat and Republican Party. Dr. Nichols, any comments from you on this? Are you telling me he doesn't know his American history? <laughs> If it was bad or if he just couldn't state facts <laughs> that, or, or perhaps it was meant to be complete sarcasm. At any rate, it bore no resemblance to history and it bore no resemblance to anything that's factual. And we all burst out laughing, but it's not a laughing matter because people yes. read that garbage and they believe it. Yes. It, it, it's called political gaslighting. Political yes. gaslighting. Yes. That's their yes. job. That's, that's right. What, that's, that's, right. What Louis, that's what Louis' that's what Louis' job is. You know, and, I, and that's what I say. You can dismiss me if you want to, but he's doing his job is to say stupid stuff. So you can be talking yeah. about mm-hmm. his stupid stuff rather than the mm-hmm. stuff you should be trying to talk about or to be trying to get right. done. He's a distraction. Right. That's what his Correct. job is. You know, and, and as long as you're taking time to, to, to analyze his stupidity instead of just accepting mm-hmm. it, I accept it. I accept who he is. And so yeah. if you're going to spend your time analyzing all that, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and you ain't focusing. And that's what they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, it was hard to hear you. It was probably in 2014 that I got so frustrated. My first job was at the Marshall News Messenger, and I also worked at the Longview News. And, of course, I've been gone a long time, and they have different publishers. But I was reading some of the things that he, that, uh, some of the reports of what Louie had said at some Lions Club meeting, and they were just quoting him word for word without any refuting any of the facts that we were saying. 
And so I picked up the phone and I called the publisher because the publisher of both papers is the same guy. And I never met him, right. but I introduced myself. Right. I said, in my day, you would not have let us get by with not not putting the facts out there when somebody said the things that Louis said. And quote, unquote, the publisher said, well, if we facts checked everything Louis had to say, we wouldn't have time to do anything else because everything he says is wrong. And, <laughs> you yeah. know, I, <laughs> a lot of it is that the media just lets him say it and then nobody gives any context. And that's part that's of what journalism is. Journalism is supposed to research the facts and give you context. Um, and that hasn't happened. We've lost context. But Louis Gomer is the biggest joke. And, you know, he, he's an embarrassment. Um, and a lot of the reason that he gets by with being an embarrassment is people go in and pull the lever without knowing who he is and not caring. Most That's people true. in East Texas have never met him. They've never been in the room with him. They haven't yes. bothered to go in and look at his voting record. And they just assume that because he's a white guy and most of them that are voting, you know, the, the white ones, they're voting for him because he's already in office. And if you're too ignorant to look at someone's voting record before you pull the lever, you are too ignorant to be voting. Let me say this. Let me say this. Look at Louis Gomez. And then we're going to hear from our youngster. Okay, go ahead. Okay, look here. Louis Louis, Louis Gomez is taking advantage of the superior voter suppression system that's down there in East Texas. It's been down there. It ain't never been unbent down there. And so, and so he's able to get away with that because, again, the vote suppression system is so tight down there, and that's why you know, sure, I mean, you talk about that all the time. You know, we got to do something about that. But basically, right. you know, that's what he's saying about. That's why he can do that. That's why he can say stupid stuff and don't about. And, and I'm going to I'm gonna jump in it, it, because, Mr. Arthur, you the reason why I know that those people who were out there yesterday that he knows and knew that they were going to be there because the very same things that he said this afternoon, this evening on the 6 o'clock news when they were interviewing him is some of the same things that we heard those persons yelling out on mm-hmm. yesterday, the same yep. identical things. So he knew, he knew that they were going to be there. He, he wasn't surprised. He, I mean, But he's also a chicken, Dr. McKellar. And well, that's he really, true. He really is, and when you were running against him, if he heard that you were going to be there, he ran for cover. And one of the best stories I've ever heard is that many of you don't (laughs) know, but Dr. McKellar, uh, there is a a street, the main drag in Tyler is named after Dr. McKellar's white ancestor. And so one of her nieces joined the Daughters of the Confederacy, and uh, they were having a big picnic, and... uh, Louis was supposed to be their keynote speaker. And so Dr. McKellar's niece invited her to the Daughters of the Confederacy picnic. <laughs> and Louis felt like, this is where I am safe. There is no woman, this, there's no way that that, white, that black PhD is going to come and be in my face at the Daughters of the Confederacy. And so finish the story, Dr. M. So, yes, so at any rate, so he heard that I was coming. Now, he was supposed to speak at noon during the lunchtime. He heard that I was, he heard at 10 o'clock 
that all the women, the daughters of the Confederacy, says Dr. McKellar is going to be here uh, for the noon luncheon. So he spoke immediately. He says, I'm speaking now. He spoke at 10, and then he left so that he wouldn't be there when I arrived. And I arrived just happy because I was going to get a chance to have a dialogue with him. We were finally going to come face-to-face because every single time that he found out that I was going to be in a location where he was, he would make a beeline out. He was gone. He never stuck around. (laughs) Yes. We're going to hear from Christian, guys. Let's go ahead and hear from Christian because we want him to bring us up to date on how he sees things uh, and then anything else that he wants to uh, talk to us about. Go yeah. ahead, Christian. Well, we, we've already <laughs> talking about Louis Gomert, and, of course, I worked at your campaign for since my college years at Texas College, um, one yeah. of the oldest institutions in East Texas. Um, well, I just I went to his office. He wasn't there. I've been to D.C. and I was working with APAC, um, doing some things, and we were discussing about the nuclear Iran deal, um, which he does not have no knowledge about at all. And what he did was he sent his staffer to talk to us. I'm like, we're not here to talk to no staffer. We're here to talk to the congressman about what we want as far as nuclear Iran deal at that time, which was in 2000 and uh, I would say 2017 at the time when I was in D.C. Another thing is Louis Gomert will come to Texas College, be in the front lines of our parade. I have never seen him come to a commencement. I have never seen him come to a football game. I have never seen him come to a basketball game. I have never seen him come. He didn't come to the Tyler when we named Texas College our district. Right. The tax incentives to go towards our school. Front lines at the time was Councilman Ed Moore. And, of course, the front lines with Texas College was Dr. Shirley McKellar. I don't know why these people just vote. The blacks and whites. There's some blacks that still vote on the Republican Party, but then it's an educational thing, what we say we are going to talk about on on Thursday. The party line changed in the 30s, the Dixiecrats. Yeah. Well, yeah. People don't know that. And I try to <laughs> tell people who who just, oh, this, that, and other. The Confederate flag is a flag of rebellion. Yeah. Because what happened was, FDR allowed blacks to be in the war, and the South Southerners was opposing that, and so they used that as a flag of rebellion. They used the flag as a rebellion for civil rights. Now, when did the party change? As far as what we know when the party changed was, of course, the Voters' Rights Act and Civil Rights Act. That's when the party line changed. And I was doing my research. And, um, yes, and I was doing my research because I have dreams, aspirations of doing something in in politics and running for a public office. Two Democrats ran in East Texas. Louis Gomez has not been in office that long. It was a long time ago before we had a Dem- Democrat. And I, my question is, why in East Texas do you want to vote for Republican now 
when when the Democrats was doing good for y'all. When I, we, <laughs> and, we, and we and we say that some Republicans do good for others, we know that. But Christian, the, the thing, Christian, the the flip in the, from the Democratic to Republican Party happened with media. It was not something that happened with Democratic or Republican dollars. The Republican dollars, the, the Republicans took over the party about the time of Ronald Reagan, and they did it by very wealthy, wealthy people investing in technology. And they supported candidates with technology outside of the party, and they were able to reach people on another level and flip flip the parties. And we and the Democrats stayed behind the thing. I remember the day that if you were running for uh, office as a Democrat, you went to the labor unions, and the labor unions would print if they if they supported you, they would print out labels. They'd print out mailing labels. They wouldn't give you the list, but they'd print out mailing labels. We didn't even have access to the voter records. We didn't have things like the van. We didn't have a way to do a mailing, but you had but certain certain groups had it together, and the labor unions had it, and then the Republicans had that. But the Republicans mm-hmm. went in, and they invested in technology. And uh, the modern candidate that I know of in Texas that has been ahead of the, uh, the curve on technology was Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott was the first candidate that we have had in Texas that had the multi-million dollar war chest. And when he was running mm-hmm. against Wendy Davis, he had the money that every time somebody clicked on a survey on the, of social media or everybody said, I will vote for such and such candidate or I'd vote against it or an issue, he had the media, the money to collect that metadata to set up what the political preference was of every voter in the state of Texas. And he also mm. had the money to have people come in and evaluate it every day and to do their strategy. Um, mm. And so most people just think it was he was more popular than Wendy. That wasn't it. It, it, was, it had to do with the dollars and the, and the success with it. But each time we have lost, mm. we have lost it on technology. We've lost it on that ability to target the voters and to get out the voters and to mo- and to, to do it for a very long time, Democratic candidates couldn't even raise the money to run. The money that Dr. McKellar ran under, and when I was a campaign manager, uh, when I was strategist and uh, for David Kozad when he was running, the dollars that right. we were able to raise, if you were able to raise ten thousand or even twenty thousand dollars when you were running in a challenger race for Congress in Texas, you were really doing good for decades. Now we have congressional candidates that are raising hundreds of thousands of dollars that are Democratic challengers, and that has only happened because people like Shirley McKellar and David Kozad and a lot of other candidates got out there and put their lives on the line and built the infrastructure when there were very few chances that they were going to take that district because it's a political infrastructure that has been laid in the last 20 years by candidates who did not win that have brought us where we are today and by us continuing to stand up there and tell everybody in this nation that Texas is worth the effort. This district is worth it. Okay, Mr. Secretary. Could I answer the young man's question? Could I answer my question? Uh, uh, Here's what happened, young man. Uh, Ann Richards was was a governor of Texas, Texas Democratic then. You had folks like mm-hmm. Rick Perry. You had folks like uh, Bob Bullock. 
you know, so forth and so on, you know, all the big wheels. And then and then what they did was they went and got with George 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 Bush. And then they decided that that uh George Bush uh, his son would be the governor. And what they did was overnight, leading up to the election, overnight they switched over and became Republicans. Thus mm-hmm. just thus basically crashing the Democratic Party into the ground. Okay, they they went in, they and then so they flipped they put George Bush in there. Then after that, you say, well, okay, well, what happened to the party after that? Well, after that, like because I was active mm-hmm. then, uh, 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 you know, we tried to, you know, you know, black folks, we tried to, you know, get a bigger role in the Democratic Party, and Democratic Party wasn't having, you know, wasn't having it. So it was, so, you know, so they were kind of complicit. Went on forever, you know, and like you said, you know, Wendy Williams finally, you know, lit a spark. But basically, what happened was, uh, as they said that in that old western, we was robbed. It also goes right. back to census and districting. Those who are in office get to determine how the how the how the lines are drawn, and the the and we've gone from being able to have a district where the people in the district select their leader to having a district where the, the ones who are incumbents choose their voters. And so mm-hmm. um, gerrymandering has had a lot of it. I lived in a district in Arlington that went all the way. Um, there was one part of the district where it just went along uh, many miles along a highway so they could pick up Republican, they could pick up Republican voters. Up. I was in the entertainment district in Arlington, which was a minority Democratic prone district. But they went in and put us in with North Richland Hills and places that were over in the far reaches of Tarrant County, and you had to go along the highway where there were no voters for many, many miles to pull it in. And that was also in Mark Vesey's district. And if you look at Mark Vesey's district, it's done like a, uh, it's, it was designed like a barbell. And I was in that yes. little bitty strip in Arlington, and then you had Black Como in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. and you had Hispanic yes. voters in Dallas. So they were pitting the blacks against the Hispanics, and then everybody in Arlington and Irving were just basically not important because yep. there weren't enough of Correct. us to ever have Correct. a voice. So it's how those things are. If there is anyone who has not done the census, the census is ultimately important. And yes. also mm-hmm. how, these, how these things are, how these districts are drawn, because that sets it up. And who we vote for and who we get in office determines what is going to be over the it shouldn't be that way we should have a bipartisan non we should have a nonpartisan academic drawn map but that's not what's happening and so and so my question thank, is thank, about, well about, thank you for bringing that out uh, miss faith oh, just one second mr christian thanks so much for bringing that out because this is the census year as everybody knows and we have a possibility of actually getting another seat in East Texas if everybody fills out that paperwork. So those of you that are listening around the world, around the nation, rather, uh, please, by all means, go online and fill out that census report if you have not already done so, because there's a strong possibility that we can get another seat here in East Texas, number one. And then number two, this is the year for us to redraw redraw the lines and I get the I have the privilege of being a part of redrawing those lines. Go ahead, Christian. Let's hear from you and so, and so. I still want to hear I still want to hear uh, your experience uh, with uh, with being in a all 
mixed school, I should say. You you didn't go to an all-black school, all-white school. You went to an integrated school. And so we talked a, a little bit about that, and we wanted to hear mm-hmm. your uh, what you have to say about that, and then whatever else that you want to say. Go ahead. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I will piggyback on what we were talking about, then I'll talk about um, integrating in schools. Um, I know y'all know the history of East Texas more than I do being born and raised in East Texas, and so of some of y'all. And so the question was, as far as Max Sadlin, who was the representative from 1997 to 2005, how was it that he was in office for that long and East Texas was voting Democrat, 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 Democrat for that long, and all of a sudden Louis Gomer gets in office? So that's my question. How did how did that change from that? Because it re- just seems like they redrew the map and they put Smith County in yeah. that district. Smith, Smith County was not in US one, right? Originally, it, uh, when it was Democratic, it Smith County wasn't in it. When they put Smith County in, it put so many white voters in there that so many Democrat Republican voters that it wiped right. out the the Democratic minority in those other counties. There was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of resentment from other counties when they threw Smith County in there. Mm, So that's how he lost. Smith County was the hair of the dog. In uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, HEB was the hair of the dog. We had had Democratic candidates. Uh, Tom Love would have won. Tom Love carried every area of the district. He even carried carried areas of Arlington with higher percentages Mm -hmm. in the incumbent house. Reference, but they threw in uh, they threw in H E B. H E B was the hair of the dog in the Dallas Fort Worth area, but Smith County was the hair of the dog in Smith County that turned it uh, turned it and kept it Republican. So Louis Gomer, from the history of y'all telling me, Louis Gomer really just got lucky and they cheated. <laughs> he came into office in two thousand and three. And he has not really done anything. Most people don't even, as as Miss Faith has already said, and many others, they don't follow what their elected officials have done, how they've voted. Many people don't even realize and recognize that Louis Gomez has not written one bill since he's been in Washington no. D.C. Not one bill. He's not brought anything to East Texas, but still no people vote according to party lines. Go oh, ahead. Let me, Anybody? Louis Gomer, let me say this. Louis Gomer came in with that George Bush crew that I was telling you about where they flipped Texas. Mm-hmm. Louis Gomer came in with that crew. Right. And uh, and I'm say this. He, he, he has written some bills, but guess what, though? They know that he is not capable enough of writing the bills correctly. They, they <laughs> haven't pushed. I've seen the bills. They just be honest. They haven't pushed none of his bills. Right. Well, that, well, that, right. That's true. Like, like, even when his sister, the name of the Democratic you, Party. Go ahead. Anybody? Even Louis' sister can't stand. Louis' sister was a Shirley McKellar supporter. <laughs> yes, I, I wasn't, wasn't going to tell she, that. She was right. a Shirley McKellar. Well, she says, as long as my daddy's alive, I can't come out public. But I, but she was a, she was a staunch Shirley McKellar yeah. supporter. Louis Gomer's sister. <laughs> well, well, back to the topic of uh, integration and um and whatnot. Um, I did grow up in an integrated school. Um, when y'all talk about the new Jim Crow laws and Jim Crow of old, 
Um, I would say that the new Jim Crow of today is school to prison, um, mm-hmm. uh, school to prison pipeline. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and which I wasn't a bad child growing up. I was had a lot of energy. I just was fun, active, and uh, they uh, just just energetic. And I believe that what happened was they put the criminal justice system in our schools, and they sent me to alternative school, and I'm in third grade. And I'm with students that are way older than me in the 12th grade. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wrong folk. And I'm spending 90 days just for talking, for being talkative or, or, or being too energetic. And they wanted to send me my aunt. Like, she'll tell you, she, my aunt fought. It's like, you're not going to send my, my nephew to, you know, this is basically school prison. And it's preparing wow. you for the real prison. But thank God I made a, I made a drastic change growing up at a high school and, 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 and whatnot. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in Dr. McKellar knows um, since we we would go to the same church and whatnot when when we when we fellowship mm-hmm. together in DC yeah. and and Tyler and in Dallas. Um, That's right. When I was a child. I spoke as a child. I acted as a child. When I became a man, I, I put away childish things. But yes. that's yeah. the point that 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 is a new Jim Crow, and I and, and that's one of the things I do want to fight while we in Texas as well. We need to fix our school to prison pipeline system for the for the young kids because it's 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 already having these kids going down the wrong path of being isolated, feeling alone, and getting them ready to go to prison. And it's it's really hitting the black students. And so I'd never felt the the experience of being called the N word or or this and another because I think that that word, as far as young folks, has it's been diluted down as a friend. I wouldn't say a friendly word, but it's just mm-hmm. especially in the black community, it's just it's not as strong as what it was in the '60s and '70s and '80s and and whatnot. But I will say this though, as far as racism in America and our school system growing up, I strongly believe that. That it that it came down from higher powers to our school systems, and it's affecting our black community and our Hispanic communities, and and part of our white communities too. Because there were some white kids who felt the same thing I felt in the third, fourth grade, and all those grades. And they're not they wasn't even bad children. But I would say that what we need to do to fix the problem is we need to have more counseling, of course. We need to have more <laughs> programs. We need to have more programs where we talk to parents, and we need to learn what the students are going through. Because what if I was going through something? Would you still right. send me off to school like I'm going to prison? I have to wear right. a certain amount of clothes. I have to stay in line like I'm in prison. I have to sit down and eat alone like I'm in prison. I can play time, play time, or or recreation time. You call indoctrination, young man. It's called indoctrination, young man. Indoctrination. You're being indoctrinated. Wow. That's, that's, that's what we I We also went into a period of, of they voted, they, they stopped funding special education. They stopped funding schools that would really deal with our kids had special needs. 
and they started throwing them into the uh, everybody into the own classroom without the teachers having the training or the resources to deal with a child that had special needs. And then they started mm-hmm. calling the police if some child acted out. And I'm yes. from fifth grade, you know, elementary school. So it became That's an right. altogether different culture in the school. Then you add the school shootings on top of that. Um, and it became such a toxic environment for a child to be in school. And it's, it's sad. Now, my generation, we... I can remember going out in the hallway and putting our, you know, whenever we had a fire drill, whenever we had a, a bomb drill, when they, you know, the, because they were afraid that Russia was going to bomb us. And my, my childhood was, was out in the hallway covering our heads because we were having yes. a bomb drill. Y'all have right. shooting drills. And um, that is not an environment for learning. But now one thing that in, in the many hours that I have spent with Dr. McKellar and as we've talked about, how it was growing up. One of the things Dr. McKellar had, she was surrounded by people who led her to believe that um, the sky was the limit. She was surrounded by black business people, by black uh, leaders, you know, by um, people that uh, she had a lot of black role models that were successful and had been generations of successful. So she saw this. But if you don't have those role models, you have a much harder time because you have more tendency to do what your older sisters are going to do or what your aunts and uncles are because you see them doing it. But if you're the one who has to chart that whole path and no one in your family has gotten there and you have to do it on your own, it's a lot harder to get there. So having a mentor and having role models and being surrounded by people who are that believe that they have a future that believe they're going to live to be more than 20, 20, 25 years old, that believe they're going to have a chance to get to head, that believe they can go to college, believe that they can choose something in their life. It makes all the difference in the world, and that's what we have to do for each other. That's what, thank you so much for bringing that out, Miss, for our young children right now. Yes, and I saw in my family I saw entrepreneurs. I saw people working for themselves and not working for anyone else. I never will forget my father said to us when we were very young. I've even said this on this show. My father would say to us, don't always focus on being an employee, be an employer. Say, employ some people, give some people some jobs. And that's what I saw. I saw him employ people. And I saw my uncles and my aunts employed people they own they were hair stylists and they owned their own salons and then they were real estate people and they built their own homes and their own subdevelopments my family actually was the first african-american family to build a multiple apartment complex uh, here in tyler texas so you're exactly correct i want to go to i want to go to dr dr nichols for a second because i want to talk a little bit more about what uh what christian uh, shared with us and that's uh that school prison to pipe uh, uh, school to pipeline prison prison to pipeline however they they phrase it it's a serious issue and so let's look at why we have such as that going on where where our children are going from the school to prison Dr Nichols why do you think Thank that you. we have that yes ma'am oh Go this ahead. is planned this is absolutely planned and let me preface this by saying that. I began my teaching career and continued always working with what we called back then juvenile delinquents. 
um, and went on to teach every level from kindergarten through college, worked as an educational diagnostician and the school psychologist and worked not only in our juvenile facilities but also in our prisons. So I, I am speaking as a professional. I am speaking as someone with an expertise in this area that this was planned, this is planned this very day. We look at our reading scores in the third grade and we build accordingly our prisons. This is also set up to ensure that the privatization uh, continues, that our privatized prisons and our privatized um, juvenile facilities continue to make lots of money because that's the name of the game. I completely agree with um, Ms. Chatham when she talked about special education and how that has been treated over the years. Um, But the bottom line, what I'm saying is it's follow the money. It's not take care of the children. What do the children need? Meet them at their level and with their needs. It's about how much money can we suck off the American public in the name of special education. Thank you. (laughs) Well put. So what Dr. Nichols is saying to us is that school to prison pipeline is all about money uh, because we're privatizing prisons in this country, so they got to make money, right? So I have to And I know that also when you add to that, Nick, what we have done with the immigration uh, detention centers and the amount of money that's been poured into separating children from their parents and housing them and uh, abusing them. And the oh amount my. of dollars, the enabling amount of dollars, the money that's been put into prisons, if it were put into education and social services, yes. Yes. we would, you know, I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a travesty of of corruption. I believe at this time in history, the United States of America is the most corrupt government in the world. Wow. The and that like is that. something that I would never have said most of, most of my life. But at this point in history, undeniably, we are the most corrupt government in the world. But look, we have to understand, if, you're built, if the country is built on corruptness, then, you know, you can deny the corruptness, but at some point, which is what I hope we had now, you have to just acknowledge it, you know, and we have to get that. But we, we weren't the only ones that were built on corruption. I mean, you know, slavery was not – America wasn't the only country that was, was built on I'm slavery. I'm not trying to – I'm not trying to – you know, so, But, I mean, I, when I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm talking about not just just that history of it. I'm talking about um, governmental officials that are ripping off the, the coffers for humongous yeah. amounts of money. If we look, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we just, look at the yeah, number yeah. of people in the Trump administration that got um, very large subsidy loans, even though the law said that if you were a governmental official, you weren't supposed to get a subsidy loan on this, uh, on this uh just just this year. If we just take the, the grass amount of money that is misappropriated, in well, this a, nation, a, 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 right now, not looking at our history, but right now, we okay, are well, by I guess far. I'm speaking. 
Uh, okay, we're look, worse than a banana from republic. From a... Banana republic. Oh, okay, look, I, I, I did a lot of work in Honduras after Hurricane Mitch, look, look, and that was, you know, look, look, I mean, when you're talking about Honduras, just for just for a second, Mister Honduras. Just so I can be clear. Just so I can be clear. You know, what I'm saying is that it's just like redlining. It's like, you know, what happened right after Reconstruction. You know, all that plays is playing out now in corruption. It's been corrupt is what I'm saying. And if you're African-American, it's been corrupt. It ain't never not been corrupt. Now, from your perspective, maybe it's corrupt-er, always been corrupt. And, and that's what we're fighting against. We're fighting, you know, the forever corruptness. It sounds like you just found out about it. Oh, no, 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 young, no. Man. no young man. No. I have not just found out about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's no, 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 no. I didn't just find years. out about it. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> let, let me jump in, guys, because it, it's 948, and so I, I want to get in a couple more questions. This has been an amazing uh, demis, uh, a discussion tonight, but I have a question for each one of you, uh, and I'm going to give you maybe uh, almost a minute, not quite a minute, maybe a minute, uh, to dialogue on it. Now, it's going to be two questions in one, and, and one of them, because now, because we have two uh, uh, men of color, and we have two Caucasian sisters, my two of my very dear friends on uh, with us tonight. And so the question that I have for all four of you, uh, because because what I'm looking at tonight is is how we see things differently and how we see things as the same. So so my question is is, is what is one way that each of you think that you can connect? with the opposite race, and I'm going to say for Mr. Arthur and, and Mr. Christian, how they can connect with the Caucasian race, and then how Ms., uh, Dr. Nichols and Ms. Faith can co- connect with the African-American race, and in particular of opposite sex, because two females and two males. And then the second part of this question is, what do you think of when you hear the term white supremacists, because actually we've been kind of talking about this all evening. Uh, we just have not used that terminology. So so I'm going to, let's see, I will start with, let's start with the our youngest person uh, tonight, and let's start with Christian. Uh, Christian, as he mentioned, uh, was working on his master's at Abilene, excuse me, Abilene. Uh, I'm sorry, Christian. I'm thinking about Abilene Christian University. I don't know why. <laughs> because maybe because I know you graduated from Southwestern well, well, Christian College. Yes. <laughs> Go, ahead. Go ahead. Tell us what yes. school. And then, of course, his major was political science. Go ahead, Christian. Uh, yes, ma'am. So Alabama A&M uh, University. I, since COVID, I'm probably going to transfer to a, a local school here in Texas. Um, and start my political career here out in um, the Kaufman, um, half of Dallas County area as well. Um, well, what I, I, the experience level with y'all is very, very different. Um, so far, it's been working with um, our white brothers and sisters um, has been quite amazing so far because they actually are more educated now. Um, they're going to school. As uh, far as integration, going to historical black institutions, and blacks going to predominantly white institutions, um, our presence is known, and they are with us. And so I don't have an answer to how I'm going to work. I'm just going to continue to work with them and try to fix the problem because 
we're getting older and we are the future leaders, both black and white. And a lot of my white friends, uh, we actually think the same. I do have some Republican friends who voted for Trump and whatnot, and I, I pick their brains and they pick my brains because I'm on the Democratic side. And we also have a lot of fun. It's not a lot of bickering and arguing. We, we go out, we have a couple drinks or, or, or and whatnot to understand our philosophy and our thinking about um, politics and what's going on in the nation. And we actually sometimes, not all the time, but I say a little bit of most of the time, we're on the same page of what we want to do and fix our problems. So I think it's just a generational thing um, Mm -hmm. as far as if you're 18 and up and the younger people who are in high school. And I think it's a technology thing, too, because we do have Twitter, Facebook, and all other stuff. Older people will say it gets us in trouble. But as young folks would say, it's actually making us stay woke and stay hip on what's going on in in our nation as far as uh, the communities that we live in. And um, the other question as far as white supremacy, um, I see it on social media. I haven't seen it in person like some of y'all have seen it. I don't think I've seen it in person. I may have seen it in person but didn't know. And I hope I don't get a chance to see it in person to the extent of mm-hmm. which y'all have seen it. But, of course, I know I see it on TV far as our president. I do respect the under, the name of, of, of being the pre, our president of the United States. Um, but I do not respect the person. And like I said, I am a evangelical, and he claims to be evangelical. And then all these people who vote the way that he talks and just vote, it's just how can you claim that you are something a follower of Christ and you can't even even um, quote a scripture correctly? What is uh, two Corinthians? So <laughs> and so okay. I, I I just want to say that um, I don't have no experience of what white supremacy is. I just read it in the books, but I know now far as ed- being educated, that if I see it, I know I can point it out and be like, hey, right. this person right here yeah. needs to be stopped. Good job. Thank you, Christian, so much. That was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Dr. Nichols? All right. That was beautiful. Um, yes, it was. I'm thinking about my life and what has worked for me in terms of being able to um, stand shoulder to shoulder with my brothers and sisters of different races. And I I really think it's common ground. And I think that that's true with all people, that we find common ground. Now, how do we do that? We do that through what the young people are calling relational organizing, what us folks who are older would call talking over the the neighbor fence or (laughs) uh, front porch visits, um, party line visits, if we go back that far. In other words, having a communication which involves yes. this thing, much like yes. what we're doing this evening, where you, when you asked what are your earliest memories, that brought so much, So it, it made the conversation so rich. It painted a picture of what life was like for an individual during this time period. It drew a connection. Um, it was beautiful. It was icing on the cake. And I, I wanted to say 
for us to sit down and have a meal together because I'm totally yes. into the Last Supper. I just think that, you know, really That's and true. truly, when, when you boil down um, the New Testament, it comes down to let's all sit down and have a great meal together. But then <laughs> I'm kind of into food. so <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, yes. And music yes, is wonderful, but really it's go. the listening and the conversation, the relational organizing. That's beautiful. That is outstanding. Uh, Dr. Nichols, thank you so much for that. Um, we're going to go to you, Miss Faith, and give you a, a minute or so because since uh, Mr. Arthur is one of our co-hosts and we'll, we'll come to him last, and then I guess I'll be the very last, and then we'll enjoy our music. And I'm glad that Dr. Nichols mentioned music because I always sit – and I don't care how often I hear this, our theme song, we don't have the rights to it, but we play it at the end of each one of our shows, and we want everybody to stick around and listen to this show, listen to this song, and listen to the words. The words are amazing. And every time I, I listen to it, I think about the late uh, uh, Congressman John Lewis. Uh, Miss Faith, your time. My life has been sh- shaped by making relationships while I was working for something I cared about. There's been a lot of things I've cared about over the years, and there have been a lot of people that I've worked with. And in the last 10 years, many of the people that I have been in the trenches with the most often are of either Muslim or a different, a different religion or else a different race. And I'm so blessed to have people in my life that I trust more than I trust myself at times. People like Shirley McKellar that when I need to be told I'm wrong, she knows how to to do it with the kind of uh, voice that I will listen to. Um, A person that's there to encourage me when I'm on the right path. A person who values what I am and also comprehends that I can always be better. And so uh, racially, love doesn't see a color. It sees a color only in the tones and the, uh, the beauty that it brings out, not in the differences. I don't believe in segregation. I don't really believe in borders. I believe in human beings through the grace of God, having the opportunity to be the very best that they can be. And that's why this time in history is so hard because a lot of what we work for and we thought we had made progress from seems to be unraveling. And uh, I don't you, believe Faith. in white supremacy and I don't believe in black supremacy. Okay. And so very I have good. a hard well, time with either of those things. Right. I believe there are people that are more privileged and people who have more advantages but I don't believe any of us. My mama and daddy okay. didn't treat me, treat, teach me to be better than anybody else. Right. They okay, thank you, Ms. Faber. I'm going to have to jump in. We're going we're gonna to run out of time. That is okay. perfect, and I appreciate that. Mr. Arthur, you have probably about 30 seconds. Are they going to cut us off? Uh, go ahead, Mr. Arthur, quickly. That was everybody. beautiful from all three. It was amazing. I enjoyed everybody. I enjoyed everybody. Okay, just understand, white supremacy, is an ideology. It's not uh, 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 Donald Trump, Clarence Thomas, Stephen Miller, a, a Jew. Uh, you know all of them. Uh, uh, you know all of them white supremacists. And and America Thank was built on the white Arthur. supremacist system. 
Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Listen, you guys have been amazing. This has been outstanding. I'm going to tell you, I'll share this with you quickly. I've spent probably more time in the home and in the presence of Miss Faith Chatham. When I, when I arrived in Austin, Texas, the first person I'm going to chase down is Miss Faith Chatham. And she gives me the best bed in the house if I want to spend the night there. She's been an amazing friend. We've traveled across this country together uh, to national democratic conventions, to wherever we needed to go. I've had dinner in her home. She's an amazing friend. So, with that being said, I thank each of you for being on with us tonight. You are outstanding guests. You're welcome to come back at any time. And by the way, Miss Yolanda says hello to to uh, Christian, and she says hello to. She probably is right there, Miss Miss Yolanda. You can hey, yell hey. hello to Miss Faith because uh, <laughs> and it's ten o'clock, so it's time for us to go. And we're going to ask Miss uh, Rihanna to play our song. Uh, for the evening. I thank you guys so very much. And all of those that are listening out there, thank you for tuning in uh, to be on with us tonight. My cousin, Miss Pamela Irwin, one of our educa- retired educators uh, here in the district, uh, was on listening tonight. So we appreciate each of you for coming on. With that being said, may God bless you. And remember our Friday night memorial in honor of the late and great Congressman John Roberts Lewis. Thank you. God bless you. And good night. And I think Miss Rihanna has our song. Miss Rihanna has been a little under the weather, so she may have already drifted off to sleep. But if she has, you have to come right back here next week. Here I think so. There it is. It's coming. Go ahead, Miss Rihanna. Give us our song for the evening, and we'll be ready to go. That's what I have you saying. I'm that you. Is that you singing? Okay. Good night, everybody. I guess she fell off. <laughs> bye bye. As we. Okay. Have a great one. We'll see you next time. Bye now. Join us on Thursday midday in here in East Texas. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>